Film Files, what's happening? It's Tuesday, it's 9 p.m. I hope you're going to listen for the next hour because we're going to be talking about movies. We better not be. We been, I told you that we are. I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And our film for tonight is one that inspired a generation of dorm room posters and Probably kept Spencer's gifts in business during 1999. <laughs> They're still in business in Peoria. They play in yes, Peoria. Sir. Well, yeah, thank God still for black lights. Yep. Probably yep. still have that same Fight Club poster somewhere Ooh, in the corner. Yes. Probably still Absolutely. have that same uh, fake poop and cigarettes. Oh, more than likely. So we did Fight Club. So stick around. This is movie show theater. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. Jimmy, Ben, and Stuart. This is Movie Show Theater. So, before we get into the... uh Fat of it because fat because of Fight Club. There is I was fat. making a reference. So to yes, it. there is some fat because in they this. make soap. Yes. There's there's they a do. new there's a new business in town that's joining in on the movie show theater fun. If you want to follow along with these films or revisit one or go out and buy one, there's a good chance that you'll find it at Acme Comics. Woot woot! If you've never been there, they have. Probably whatever movie you're looking for on Blu-ray, VHS, DVD. What about Betamax? Uh, you know what? I'll I'll t- I'll talk to somebody about that because I'm not sure about the Betamax. I'm pretty sure no Beta. No, I'm pretty sure no Beta. <sighs> no Beta. But they have great comic books. They have new and old. They have collectibles. They have vinyl. They have pop culture memorabilia. They have movie books. They have music books. Just Toys. All sorts of stuff. Buy, sell, collectibles. trade. Collectibles. That's Correctibles. A, that's an excellent way to put it. So they're at uh, 2218 West Glen Avenue here in Peoria. So, um, yeah, Fight Club. That's what we did. It was randomly generated by our magic hat of movies, and um, I was kind of torn with it. It came out in a very competitive movie year, and I turned 30 uh, this past Sunday, and... What? For me personally, I know. No! Yes. Yes, <sighs> it, is, it is the anniversary of me. Well, happy anniversary to you. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. For whatever reason, me being a freshman in high school, I was influenced and impacted by, like, every film that came out in 99. So just to give you an idea, there was Fight Club, American Beauty, The Matrix, Star Wars Episode One, Green Mile, Sixth Sense, Being John Malkovich, Magnolia, The Mummy, Talented Mr. Ripley, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, American Pie, which I wouldn't. Well, make I wouldn't eh, make somebody else watch that. Well, no, of course. Uh, Blair Witch, of course. I believe Sue is a fan of that. And um, the Iron Giant. That's true. Dogma. We just Dogma. did that one. Yeah. Awesome. So that was a that, that was a big year. Did you say something about dorm room posters? Because I'd I'd see here that the Boondock Saints was also yeah, released right? in 1999. Hey, exactly. Ooh. And it was the same I'm, sort of I'm like one, I'm half a percent Irish, right? <laughs> no, it was like. And it was a lot like Boondock Saints. That was just totally sweat-soaked, adrenaline-fueled, nonstop, complete alpha male machismo. Just when I saw Fight Club and Boondock Saints, it was like, oh, my God, this is the best movie ever. Not only are they encouraging you to do the worst things that you can do in society, but they're making it look cool. 
And uh, I watched it like once, probably once a week for a couple years, and just stood by it as like this movie is just the the best movie. Which one? Fight Club. Fight Club. Yeah. I have a confession. Yes, I've seen it only twice. Well, that's fine. I think I've seen it three and, or four times. And the first time, I'll be honest, I think I fell asleep halfway through. That's a, you're certainly not going to offend me. No, nineteen ninety nine Jimmy thing. would not have liked no, that. It, Ooh, it's, no, man. it's one of those things where I I. As I watched it today, I realized that this movie is so weird. (laughs) It's just so out there. The pacing is a little bit different than most movies out there. I mean, it started off so, I mean, it grabbed me at first, and then it slowed down so much. And 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 that's okay. I mean, that's all right. Until about the 40-minute mark where... You know Tyler and and I don't I can't even remember our lead characters. Actually, Jack, Jack the narrator. He's never even given narrator. a name. I mean, even in the credits, he doesn't have I mean, have a seriously, name. he has no name. So Tyler and 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 Edward Norton's character start to beat the crap out of each other out in behind the bar. At that point, I'm wondering to myself, hmm, okay, this could be interesting. Now I get where this is coming from. But is Tyler real? <laughs> I had that question from. Minute one, is mm-hmm. this guy real or is this some sort of a figment of his imagination? I mean, I know that others have been like, no, he looks real until the very end. Spoiler, spoiler. Well, they, they tease it before he even shows so up much. physically in the airport because they'll have like flashes of him in different scenes, which are pretty obvious because he'll be on the screen for, you know. So when he shows up, uh, that fragmented form ends up, you know, looking almost exactly like him so it's just like if you were really paying attention on your first viewing you'd probably be able to call it pretty early in the film which well, i really i, I really wasn't it, watching closely the first time i watched it you know when, yeah. when i watched it when i watched it this morning i called it when he started breaking the fourth wall when he started talking to the camera and and started saying um yeah tyler did this tyler does this he's kind of an urban terrorist that sort of mm-hmm. thing i was like Oh my God! He's talking about himself. Yeah, he's totally talking about himself. He just doesn't realize he's talking about himself. And I guess that's what made it so interesting because the whole Helena Bonham Carter, you know, uh, sex scenes and everything like that. You're thinking to yourself, "Well, wait a minute. Why does Tyler not want him to talk about him with this girl?" And yet, there's a reason, obviously, because they're two separate people in his head and he's not sleeping with her. Yeah, so you don't think Marla existed either? No, Marla does exist. Yeah. No, totally. Marla Marla <clears throat> is in existence. Marla is real as real as she can be. Uh, but she is also just as messed up as she is. She's not a fragmented personality like he is, but she is definitely messed up. She, I mean, who goes to Support groups for testicular cancer, bowel cancer, free coffee. I mean, I mean free, right. aside from the free coffee, you know, tuberculosis. Nothing to do. Can't go to a movie and afford I mean, no popcorn. I mean, seriously. I mean, all of that. I mean, just. A, I mean, his whole reason for going was because he wanted to cry and then be able to sleep. It's really weird too because it's almost like um, you can call him Jack or the narrator. The narrator probably fits more for the movie, but um, it's almost like he has two foils because Marla's like um, the narrator in a more evolved form because she doesn't fall back on all the materialistic things that the narrator does. She's just like, well, this is all I have, 
these support groups and me being poor and being a candy striper and I have no pretenses whereas the narrator's pretty much self-admittingly uh living through his ikea catalog and you know his um bowls that have the personalized bubbles Mm -hmm. and his furniture and then you have tyler who is you know he's kind of like marla in a sense that he doesn't really cling to anything as far as materials go he just does whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it yeah even though he's not real he's pretty much a creation of the narrator's mind that pretty much enacts everything that he would want to do. Right. It, it seemed to me that the closer and the more desperate and dire that Jack's needs were for Tyler's presence, the more noticeable that he was on screen. You know, there was there was the little blips, and then he was on the little runway tram in the airport, and the camera oh, yeah. actually follows him for a minute. And, you know, everything that Tyler looks like, represents, stands for, believes in, is the complete opposite of... Jack, you know, with the flashy clothes, he's charismatic, he's got purpose, he smiles, he's, you know, I, like Ben said, everything that, that Jack is not. Well, so. he, Tyler, he makes my wife swoon, let's be honest. <laughs> he I makes mean, me serious. swoon. Tyler, oh. Tyler, even one of those, I'm looking at the camera moments, even says, I bleep, basically saying that everything you want to do, every uh, aspiration you've had for what a male should look like, Basically, what a male, what a man should be, this is what I am, and this is what you will never be because I'm imaginary. Sorry. Exactly. I mean, well, and and that is such a rude awakening for him. That is such a harsh reality for him because how can you be so – how could you be so split in one head as to have two complete separate identities like that and not know that you're the one who's doing all this stuff? It's called Just dissociative identity disorder. I understand what it is. I and you know, at one point I did study that sort of thing, but you know, I but again, it just seems to me at that point that he is so messed up that at some point he has to realize even before then that what's happening is not real. At least this much, not real, you know, and I'm holding up my little fingers as just, you know, an inch away. I mean, just not real at all. Mm-hmm. And and yet, no, he doesn't until the very end where he realizes, oh, geez, this is me and these guys think it's me and they're going to blow stuff up. And ultimately, spoiler, they do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that – I mean, we've all thought about it. I mean, we've all thought about, mm, I'm just going to, you know, rah, rage against the machine or whatever. But down, 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 how many down, people down, actually down, do down, it, down. right? Yeah. And unfortunately, in this day and age, there are a lot of people who do do that. They just snap at the moment and, and go and do whatever their mind tells them to do. And and frankly, that's, that's horrifying to me. That's just terrifying. Which is to interesting, too, because um, the scene where – the narrator or Jack is making Jack, reference yep. to that specifically, you know, when the boss comes over and says, Hey, I found this on the printer. And he talks about how, you know, the guy who wrote these rules about this supposed fight club could go off at any second with a weapon. They wrote and filmed that before Columbine. And that part actually tested well before Columbine. When they tested it after, the audience had no so response horrible. to that silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if so you look horrible. back on it, um, in today's world where these things seem to happen weekly, sometimes daily in stretches, it's just a harsh reality, you know, and it's really, to me, even though that seems disturbing, it's actually more sad than anything that it was satirical at one time and now it's a legitimate fear for some people. In yeah. 1999, I totally, completely understand 
the fight club aspect. I get it. You're wanting to express yourself in some way that is beyond the norm. You're wanting to feel something that is beyond your realm of experience. I get that. I'm sorry, it just doesn't play. I mean, they killed, if you really think about it, they killed hundreds of people in that last scene. They did. I well, mean, they, the buildings that fell. But they were empty, and they did point that out. But you don't know that they're completely yeah, empty. Yeah, you have yeah. to consider that the people walking by the buildings wouldn't know that the building's about to explode. Exactly. Well, and, and, I mean, and, and, that's and what the I, book. I think about those. I think about things like that, even like stupid action movies or like Marvel films exactly. where they're going on terrorists through the city. They don't, they don't see like the, the car that's thrown by the Hulk going into a, a civilian or pedestrian because, you know, it, they, they just want to say, hey, everyone's fine. Everyone's safe. Yeah. Well, except for, uh, I won't give away some, I almost said something that was a spoiler for a recent Marvel film. So I won't. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to go there. Yeah, man. yeah no, I don't. That, that's one of my big problems with this movie and I realized that I was kind of inadvertently defending it, but you know, Tyler's whole revolt against overconsumption and overcorporation and materialism and, you know, just rebelling against repetition and, and this drone-like quality of life. But he recruits these drones to do exactly what Tyler says and to blow up buildings and vandalize for no reason. I mean, Tyler has purpose, but the drones are just like Space assholes. Space you know, there's some, just of them, some of them are, but they're lost souls is what really basically what it boils down to. And Tyler gives them purpose. Tyler gives them a reason to be and a, a, a cause to follow. And that is the most frightening thing ever. It's, it's this thing that happens with religion. You give them a, a cause to follow. You give them a purpose. You give them something to believe in. And they're capable of anything. And and I'm sorry for those of you out there who are, you know, whatever, but I, I just – again, I believe very much so that this is a par- parallel with how religions are created. This whole and, – and it's a perfect example when poor Bob gets brought in and the top of his head is completely blown off mm-hmm. and they start chanting his name. I, they start chanting his name. Robert Paulson. Robert Paulson, exactly. I mean, poor Bob. But one person chants it, and then everybody else is like, yes, let's and chant they, they, after and him. But do, that's the point. You're onto something really great here because I can't remember which character it is. Um, so Jack or the narrator comes in, and he doesn't realize that Tyler Durden is just you know a creation in his mind. So he comes in. He sees Bob on the table. He says, this is my friend Bob. You're not going to just go bury him. And then one guy randomly says, oh, so in Project Mayhem, we have names after we die. Exactly. Which is just a complete made-up rule, and then they all start chanting it, they, and, uh, and, and the narrator's uh, like, no, you're all insane, you're out of your minds, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And that's what frightens me the most about stuff like this, is that because that sort of, that sort of, uh, I'll say it, fanaticism is definitely possible in today's culture, and it's it's out there. We've seen it recently, and in the news and everything else. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot to push somebody over the edge to grab a gun and go and do something completely ridiculous. And and unfortunately, and for as fascinating as this film is, I'm sorry, I can't I can't get behind it. I can't. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, I, I mean, and I'll be honest, when I when I was thinking about the hat, I put this film in the hat, and it got randomly drawn out of the hat. I mean, this was me. 
I'll 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 be a, I'll admit it because I was curious about this film because you know first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. I found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. I did. Do you, do you think that maybe he made that the first rule because he knew that they would break it to recruit and they needed to learn how to break rules? Maybe, maybe Possibly. a little bit. Well, I mean, but... he even he even talks about it. You know, oh, he says, absolutely. "Oh, I, you know, they were they were in the basement at uh, Lou's, and he said, so I see a lot more people here. So you're obviously breaking rule number one right, and exactly. rule number two.' Exactly. Right. So the en- the v- the very ending, you know, there's the big reveal, which to Fight Club's advantage, I will say that they weren't banking on this to be the selling point for the movie because. You know, Fincher's uh, the very first thing that I ever saw him do while Alien, which doesn't really count because he insists that he didn't direct that because that was like a studio job. But Which is weird because he came back to Fox to do Fight Club. Right. I right. know, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the game, he he did the Panic Room. He's got these very stylized, like, lighting, cinematography, and uh, CG he has mastered so well that the very beginning, you know, it, it starts inside this brain with these synapses firing which is kind of it's all in your head sort of opening credit. So that's your first clue. Right. And then, you know, goes out the window, you jump right into the story and the camera drops 13 stories underground, which is done so well that it gives you, you know, it gives you the goosebumps almost because it doesn't look CGI and he's not gratuitous with it. So his his films are just naturally fun to watch from a technical standpoint. Some of the some of the CGI uh and this is, you know, looking in retro, retrospect obviously where CGI just keeps on getting better and better. The penguin in the cave, the penguin was you could tell yeah, I was, a it wasn't the greatest. Yeah, when no. in, in, at the uh the end of the film when the buildings are blowing up when you look a little bit closely, it's uh this is a little more pixelated than it should be. But you know, to yeah, me like yeah, yeah. I'm not one but of those people who's a special still, would, special and, effects. But here's the thing, anything. at the end though, you're so dumbfounded that it's actually happening. You're just you're you're hoping that they stopped it, but of course they couldn't. And so here the the buildings are falling and everything else, and you're just thinking to yourself, "Holy crap! You have oh, this can't be happening." I mean, you know, Jake has tried so hard to stop it from happening at this point, and yet he can't he can't stop it, even though he's killed Tyler at that well metaphor metaphorically killed Tyler or figuratively killed Tyler or whatever. Yeah. But I hate that, but we'll get I back mean, to well, it. Well, exactly. I mean, but he's killed Tyler at that point. And then what in the hell? I mean, he can't stop this from actually happening. I mean, this is this truly would be one of the greatest disasters in the United States if it ever actually occurred. There were seven or eight buildings that came down as a result of domestic terrorism. You can't tell me that they wouldn't have just... No, that would have no. I yeah, they were no. they were doing a summer rerun series at Landmark, and I don't know. I was still in high school. It was probably two thousand. No, it was right after two thousand and one. Okay, it was because uh, I was a sophomore, so it would have been two thousand and two. And we are going to see every night these this summer rerun series. I had just seen Poltergeist the night before. I had seen Jaws two days before that, and this was Friday, and they were showing. Fight Club, and then they ended up canceling it because of uh, you think the nine eleven. Yeah, right, I mean, exactly. yeah, I mean. So this is one of those yeah. movies when you know when some in, incredible domestic atrocity happens, whether it's you know terrorism or it's ironic though because what happened in the film is more along the lines of what happened in the first attack on the World Trade Center that didn't bring the building down because. Um, there was a man in what one of the lower parking garages who had a car with explosives, right? Right. Yeah. And this was what in the nineties. It 90s? was a van. Yeah, it was a van. Yeah, like yeah. A, yeah. a van. 
and um, obviously didn't have the same effect as the second attack with the airplane. So it just goes to show how, like we've discussed, real-life events can change how you look at a movie that was filmed before some of those bigger things happened, like Columbine, like 9-11. You look at them and you kind of wince because something that's supposed to be satirical and outrageous and over the edge actually happened. It's fascinating. It's a psychological trip. It's 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 a delving into the darker side of everybody's personality at some point. But I'll be honest, um, who who creates a cult at, just because they're feeling morose and loss? You know, I mean, you just don't go and do that. You don't create an alter ego that's going to create basically this army of lost individuals and lead them into something that's ultimately so destructive and horrible that you don't necessarily want that to begin with. And you see that at the end. He just doesn't want that. He has no desire for that. But it's this psychotic alter personality or this other personality that he has that that does it. And I'm sorry, it's it's I just don't think it plays very well. They also uh, vandalize many VHS tapes. Oh, geez, that huge <laughs> magnet that they run. Yeah, they magnetized uh, VHS tapes, which originally, that's that's another interesting fact, I mean, too, because they, um, they had some bigger chains and brands on board uh, before they saw the footage. Like, that was supposed to be a blockbuster, and the coffee shop that got destroyed was supposed, supposed to, be to be a Starbucks. Starbucks but when right. they, after these corporations saw the footage, like, no, you can probably remove that. And I did you see how they clever—I'm surprised there wasn't a lawsuit, but they cleverly chopped off the Apple and Apple— and oh, there's yeah. a very similar yeah. one when they, they go and they blow up those. Uh, that's another thing that, that the movie doesn't age necessarily well is, is the technology. Oh, um, yeah, truly. Which that, that yeah. happens in any film, though. Like, if you look at the cars, so oh, those yeah. are just, like, secondhand things. I, it, like, I think the, the generation-to-generation thing is, you know, you're looking at these possessions that they're claiming to not want or need. Uh, the thing that uh, I found interesting, too, is that they're railing against the supposed system, but if their plan had gone through, they would become the system, you know, because after the, after the car crash where Tyler, Tyler being in quotations is driving, he's talking to the narrator and says, Hey, I have this vision for a society where it's, you know, there are vines growing over these large buildings and it's, you know, a hunter gatherer society, but you're thinking to yourself, well, Tyler thinks of himself kind of like some kind of monarch. So, at one point, if he went through with his plan, he'd probably become the authority. And that's yeah, what the railing gets like a really cyclical thing. That's, you that's know? where it gets really kind of convoluted for me is that, you know, at the very end of the Fight Club book, which Chuck Palahniuk, I, I used to like Fight Club. I used to really, right. really enjoy his reading. And now I think he a lot of his writing is done for shock value. Sure. And it's very hard to shock America anymore. But you know, his 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 books are amazing, and not I don't I can't think of any that translate well onto screen. Choke was a horrible adaptation. I don't want to see that movie because I've read the book. It's just like I don't really see how you could really put this in the film I've and never actually do it heard just of it. it. Yeah. So um, the end of Fight Club, it, he uh, Tyler or Jack, I guess, shoots himself in front of Marla and a support group, and. The, oh, in the book? Yeah. Oh, okay. And the very All next right, line yeah. is, of course, after I pulled the trigger, I died. And then it, one of the next couple lines is liar. And then he describes what he calls heaven. But it's like white suits, these black boots, these med cups. So you understand that, like, okay, you lived, but you're in a mental, mental institution. Right, exactly. And Marla had been writing him letters. And, I mean, yeah, people survive point blank gunshots to the face kind of a lot. I, I've... I've 
wi- right. I've been witnessed at OSF to a couple, but the no. way that they do it in the movie is just so piss poor, like, as far as, you know, this is one of the darkest films that I had ever seen to date, and even little 16, 17-year-old Jimmy watching this, when he gets up and he holds his cheek as if somebody just punched him, and he's like, oh, yeah, Tyler's gone now, let's hold hands. Like, no, you're both in- incredibly mentally sick. Oh, they're both and, mentally ill. Well, well, how about, fact, how about yeah. the fact that he probably wouldn't be standing? Right. I mean, I'm looking at this from more <sighs> of a, uh, not even like a mental perspective, a physical, Just medical a perspective. Physical like, perspective. I would think that there'd probably be a bigger hole in the side of his face. And it looked like it looked like more of a bruiser, like he had broken his jawbone. Right, and right. he put a gun to the inside of his mouth and pulled it. You yeah. know, and I don't know I mean, if there's research that would prove me wrong. But well, it just no, seemed I mean, really it, it seems far-fetched. It, well, at that point, it's. It, I mean, he put a forty-five in his mouth, right? And if he's going to do this, then he's going to do it straight up and down through the – I mean, I'm not to be morose or whatever, but he puts it in his mouth, which runs a greater possibility of what happened in the movie, which is it actually skirted the jaw underneath the jaw and knocked the jaw out of place. But un- the, the whole – thing about him talking afterward is ridiculous he's not talking at that point yeah he's laying on the ground screaming in pain because his jaw is not only out of pace place but he's got a gaping hole in the side of his face yeah i mean it's just i'm sorry that's a 45 caliber bullet that just went through his head right not through the brain no but through his head, there's no way he is going to stand there, hold Marla's hand, and watch the end of whatever he wants to watch. You right. Know, it's just not going to happen. And and the fact that, yeah, it's great this alter ego is gone, but now you're just back to this flat, suicidal guy who, like, hates life. Like, this is the whole reason that the movie started is because you were so completely unhappy and now— it's You're back just, to who you were. Right, exactly. You didn't help yourself in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, you're now a wanted terrorist, right? killer. And all and of these beliefs, you just went from the good guy to, like, the to bad guy. To absolutely the bad guy. And, and yeah. I think the general consensus of college sophomores everywhere who watched this when it came out was, Ah, <laughs> oh, cool! He's really, it's really Tyler Durden the whole time! Awesome! Well, I think the problem, like, no, too— no, that's really depressing. That's really the opposite point of the yeah. film. It, yeah. it, you can't say, Ah, oh, cool. You have to say, Ah, oh, crap! This yeah. can't be him. That's you should the call thing. his mother. Yeah. The same thing happens with a lot of films. Like, I think we discussed something similar with Full Metal Jack when people— People were like, oh, cool, a war film. Well, with Fight Club, there's a lot more going on, especially when you're looking at in terms of symbolism or or themes, you know, especially the theme of masculinity because you have all these lost men, especially the dynamic of uh, Jack and Tyler talking about they had absentee fathers. Absolutely, you know, yeah. They, they never, uh, this is referring to Tyler's speech at Lou's, his probably, his probably his longest speech, you know, he's talking about our generation hasn't had a great war, we haven't had a great depression, our, you know, great depression is just living our lives, which is a sad thought, but I can I can kind of identify with it. Just in the fact that with my generation, you know, we're kind of struggling to find our identity. This movie came out when I was 13, so this may have been referring to people who are older than I am. My age. Thank you very much. But it's just saying, you know, we've never had this great historical watermark set for us. You know, we haven't done this great thing. Right. So No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 
as men, and they refer to this in multiple spots, but as men, you know, we're taught uh, you have to get these clothes, you have to have this job, you have to get married, you have to have kids, you have to have all these things to be a man, and instead of doing that, we're just filling a void with more of a void. With things. With things. With things and stuff. And punching each other in the face if you're into that. And see, okay, let's let's lighten this up just a little bit. Let's talk about some lighter elements of this. Honestly, could you guys take a punch like that ever? I mean, I've been hit once or twice in my life. I'd hate, I'd, I'll be honest. The, I'd hate the punch to the but ear. But could you actually give a punch like that and and really follow through with it and, and feel good about it afterwards? Uh, You know, Depends I— Depends on the person. I, I <laughs> The first time I watched this, I was with my cousin, Martin Gallagher, and he we had just finished it, and he's two weeks older than me, and I'm 17, and he's 18, and he was like, this is awesome. You should hit me. And I'm like, haha, it was a good movie. And um, after about 10 minutes of convincing, I <laughs> slugged him as hard as I could in the face. and uh, That ended that, I would imagine. And that ended that. And yeah. he was like, all right, now it's my turn. I'm like, no, I no, never said I don't that want, you would. No. And he's you like, just asked me to hit right, you. You want to watch Scream 2? <laughs> and like, that's how that conversation went. It's a good old so if, no, yeah, if you're... I wouldn't. I've been in a couple of professions where I've had to physically restrain people and been in like serious, honest-to-goodness fights, okay? And they're nothing like they depict on there obviously i mean those that that is more like a boxing match than anything else but again it comes down to the fact that those people hurt each other on a weekly basis i'm sorry there's only so much punishment the human body can take before it just falls apart mm-hmm. and and jake tyler whatever you want to call him at that point there's Jack, only so sorry. much Jack. Yeah. All right, all right. So Jack, Mary, Tyler, whatever. It? I mean, who cares? I mean, because you flip. really don't know his name right. ever. So anyway, Rupert. at that point, Rupert. Cornelius. Yeah, I mean Cornelius. Cornelius for. <laughs> I'm sorry, bitch tits Bob. So, but anyway, again, you don't know who he is ever, but he's such a small man. In, in I mean, you can believe a little bit. Brad Pitt can take that kind of a beating. Because he's just, oh, God, and my wife saw him without a shirt on, and she swooned, and I swooned a little, I'll be honest. I yeah. swooned a little. I mean, Must he's just a beautiful man, but, I, I, again, you, he could take that beating, but Edward Norton, he's an okay-looking guy. He's fit. I mean, you know, I mean, you see him in the Hulk, and he, he's, you know, I mean, he does a whole, like, concentrating of his whatever powers thing or whatever, but, again— there's no way he's going to take a beating week in, week out, and still function at the level he is functioning. There's just nobody who can do it. Jared Leto, Leto, whatever you want to call his last name, when he gets beat down with the he's a kid with the white mm-hmm. hair, angel right? Face. Yeah, angel face. When he gets beat to a bloody freaking pulp at the near the end of the movie, I'm serious. He's not up walking around still marching to the same tune. I'm sorry, he's just not. He lost teeth. He has a huge scar across his face. There's just no way. And if he is, the whole group is just screwed. They're all mentally ill. They're all effed. I think there's people in this world that are his size and his weight that have had 
years and years of training, be it martial arts or boxing or whatever. But he's not that guy. He is not that These guy. These are all amateurs that have not fought their whole lives. But they also don't have, you know, like the scene with the priest uh, when they hose the That's priest. freaking hysterical. And then they hose the Bible. The next scene, the priest is in there boxing. And I you see know. him with his shirt off. Yeah. And the same with the... Uh, Cadillac salesman, but again, I, it comes down to it comes down to at this point where it, it it's saying that society needs something else. It needs somewhere where chaos rules. It needs something where pain is an outlet for whatever it is that you're going through. And I don't buy that. I never want anybody to hit me that hard ever. I never want that. I'm sorry. Call yeah. me a wimp, a wuss, or whatever. I never want that because I've seen what people go through after they've been beat down. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'll pass. I think it's tough because they want to portray, you know, Jack is supposed to be this everyman. So, of course, he can't be bulky. And there can't really be anybody bulky that's coming to these, these fight clubs because, you know, we need to believe that this is the sort of everyday person that you see on the street that would go to a fight club. But I still think, for me, the hardest scene to watch is when Lou comes in. Oh, thought, yeah. When he beats down Tyler. Yeah. Those, at that point. those, yeah. those Foley sound effects yes. are insane. They are brilliantly done, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it That and the whole time. And his laugh is awesome. The whole time he is just laughing, yes. I don't know. I took Fight Club uh, less literally. Like I saw it more as a symbolic thing. That they're trying to unleash the punishment that they feel they're receiving in, I guess, other ways. When, you know, Tyler was talking about having white colors on and you're waiting tables and you're pumping gas and, you know, your boss is holding you down. I saw it more like that just because, I don't know, to me it was, this movie was more of a satire even though it had all the disturbing elements. Uh, Especially, I I thought one of the funniest parts, which... um, one of those things that's affected by hindsight again when Tyler's giving his speech and he's talking about, you know, you're not going to be a millionaire or um, a rock god. And he looks right at Jared Leto's character right, exactly. mm-hmm. <laughs> or a movie. St- he says, it's like, you're not going to be a millionaire, a movie god or rock star looks at Jared, Jared Leto. Leto's, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, wait a second. He became all of those yes, things. He did. Yes, he did. Yes, indeed. Yeah, he yeah. went in which... Uh, I don't think 30 Seconds to Mars was, had any popularity then, but no. it formed in the late 90s. I think I, I saw it was formed in 98, but... Not long it, after this, It yeah. just goes to show that, Tyler, you weren't right. Yeah. Actually, I mean, and, and again, it comes down to it, it's time and place. But I, I, I agree with you that it is truly a satire, Ben. It is truly a satire. It is truly a reflection of how our... How our society uh, not only views masculinity and manhood, but how it views success. What is success? Are you successful because you are powerful and strong? Or are you successful because you have things? Are you successful because you feel good about yourself? What defines success? And that's what I really truly believe this movie is all about, is how do you feel about yourself and how do you define yourself? And when does that become okay to feel okay about who you are, what you're doing, and everything else? Mm-hmm. Jack never sees that. Tyler makes sure he never sees that. Tyler is his Jekyll to Hyde sort of thing, you know? And, and again, he makes sure that Jack—obviously, behind the scenes, Tyler runs Jack— 
He runs him. I mean, he's been places all over the country, started all these other fight clubs, started basically recruiting for this underground army, and and people everywhere nod to him, give him a smile, and give him a pass. Now, okay, for an ego, let's just be honest, for any ego, wouldn't that be kind of a cool thing that people are like, oh, yeah, oh, Mr. Durden, no. You don't. Your meal is free. You're not only anything. your meal is free, but we'll make sure it's clean. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suggest no that you urine don't, involved. I suggest you <laughs> yeah. don't order the clam chowder. Don't order yeah, the yeah, clam yeah. chowder. Actually, that was, like yeah. there were, that's like the actually the humorous parts of the movie were very humorous. Like when he's right. splicing the images into the children's film, which yeah. is about, based on based on. One and of if the you Chuck, caught it at the very yeah. end, the big penis that shows up at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's, That's hilarious. That's not quite erect because you can't put no, an erect no, penis in American no, film. No, you can't. But it. it I know. Come I know, on. I'm, I'm, I wish you could. Well, get it together, USA. Stupid oh. MPAA. Oh well. And so the, a- <laughs> in the when uh, they were talking about Tyler terrorizing the. Uh, service industry and he's going around <laughs> serving in this you know white tux and he has headphones on he's just like dropping, dropping chicken with bread, tons of people's yeah. plates and then walking off yeah. just totally uninterested well right. peeing in the lobster bisque and then <laughs> with you know, headphones totally disconnected creaming in the, in the in the clam chowder yeah i, I mean I, all I like of the their, above yeah. i like their chemistry i love the costuming in the movie tyler's jackets which look like they would be like a goodwill find. That bathrobe, oh, dude. Oh, that bathrobe. He is the ultimate. He he and uh, Macklemore ought to get together and go, uh, you know, thrift shopping. shopping. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Because that bathrobe and that red leather jacket, that is so throwback. And that bathrobe is so bad. Yeah, the bathrobe was uh, belonged to a friend of Tyler's that he had never given back. So he <sighs> wore it onto set and they're like, yep. You mean Brad Pitt? Yeah, what did I say? You said Tyler. Sorry, sir. That's okay. <laughs> Just making sure you were Would you like a sip of my water, sir? Not, it's not free even. for you. Oh, I understand. <laughs> and to its credit, I will uh, I will give Fight Club credit for going in a little bit of a meta direction without beating people over the head with it because even the two rules of Fight Club, it's like they're speaking to the audiences and don't spoil the film, you idiot, which Rosie right. O'Donnell did. Yeah, did you guys read about that? I just said this film is repulsive, and guess what? The narrator and Tyler Durden are the same, same person. person. Oh, I, tried, I tried to find the video. I typed Ugh. in. I went to YouTube. I typed in Rosie O'Donnell spoils Fight Club, and so the video that popped up was like Rosie O'Donnell chit chat, nineteen ninety nine, blah blah blah. It was like eight minutes long, so I was like, all right, fine, I'll just watch it. Right. It was just a random video. I right. watched nine minutes of Rosie O'Donnell for nothing. Yeah. Well, it'd, be like, it'd, be like spoiling, it'd be like spoiling the sixth sense. I don't to see her shooting koosh balls out into the crowd. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't well, need I to know who's about, a cutie I patootie. About that. Again, yeah, so, it'd be like spoiling the sixth sense. Exactly. You know, the so end the of the sixth sense. So. The, the thing that I, I was going to mention about the sixth sense, too, and of course yeah. that movie relied purely on the reveal, which Absolutely. I, I still won't give it away, but with the sixth no. sense, the second time that you go back and watch it. You see things. You catch it, and it's yep. kind of like, how did I not see that coming moment? Because you're not expecting it. Right. You're but just with not. Fight Club, they go back, and he's magically being dragged by nobody, and you know, different scenes in the movie where you're like, oh, okay, so it was him the whole time. And then they go back and show you, but no, that's not really believable. I mean, I guess I'll buy it because I'm watching a movie, but... The whole, the whole thing where everybody responds to Tyler versus him 
where they're actually talking to Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden, versus talking to Edward Norton's character. Right. It's like he's invisible at that point, and they're actually focused on Brad Pitt. Now, if that's the case, and they are the same person, how is it that he doesn't pick up sooner that they are the same person and everything else? Because... I get it where Tyler says, no, don't talk to Marla. Don't tell her about me. Don't say anything about Tyler to her ever. I get that. But the rest of these guys, how can they not see the complete difference between the two of them? I mean, because Tyler's head is shaved, right? Mm -hmm. Are they seeing somebody with a shaved head? Are they seeing Edward Norton's kind of disgusting? disheveled look the entire mm-hmm. time. I mean, he's obviously mentally ill beyond all reason. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And and again, who would wear that bathrobe ever and the with steam- the steaming cups oh, of coffee so on good. it? It's, it's I, so I mean, good. it's just gorgeous. But And that, that main le- red leather jacket, that's the one that I would love to have. That looks who like it's from the 70s. It, it was specially designed for could the you, film. You could pull that off, Jimmy. You could. I, I couldn't pull that off. And ben, you probably ben, have a hat you for it. Could. But I wouldn't want to no, I've got the wear hat, that. But <laughs> I don't you, like leather. No? no. Not at all? No. Oh, but you could pull that well, jacket off. Well, for me, it's more of a functional thing because when I put leather on, it's just like instant sweat waterworks really so, yeah leather oh, wow, makes me no. sweat more than most other materials i love do. a good leather jacket maybe if i get a motorcycle someday mm. but that probably won't happen because i'm also too practical and worried about getting hit by a semi-truck i'd rather well, be in a car well, if I get hit that by a also just happened recently, hey it's so. not until you've lost everything that you're free to do anything so are well, you sure about that you do whatever you want my, at any given that, time my i actually enjoy this film and I think it's, you know, in some ways entertaining despite the things we talked about where you look back on the things they mentioned like terrorism and mass shootings. Uh, right. Very bleak. But to me the thing that got that got on my nerves a little bit is I realize that they're trying to make points, but you don't have to be so didactic about it. You don't have to preach to me, which sometimes I feel like Tyler's there just to preach and to prove the point and kind of beat you over the head with what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like, sometimes I feel like he's there to say all those things when he doesn't even have to, like his actions or I guess he's not real, but his perceived uh, his perceived I, ideas, probably... his perceived cult, whatever you want to right. call it. Um I really don't need him to say all those things. You know, yeah. I can put two and two together. Yeah, it's kind okay, of you can put two and two together. However, I think that mass public, and this is not a slam against the mass public, but it's the truth. I think a lot of people would not necessarily have gotten the fact until the very end that they were the same person unless he had started to do exactly what you're talking about. That 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 proselytizing or whatever you want to call it, that that prophetic spewing, you know, of this is what you should be. This is where you should act. But I think that most people wouldn't have gotten that necessarily until the very end. And that's fine because that's kind of the setup of the film. But most of it, I mean, a lot of us who watched it are are just like, no, wait a minute. And I was the same way with you. It's like, okay, these long-winded kind of disjointed speeches that he's giving him, these are the ramblings of a madman. Yeah, these are the like, ramblings. These are the things that you sit down and think about in your own head. One or two head. long speeches. I can, Maybe. I can do. I can deal with one or two no. long speeches. But when it's just like every time he's not every time, but so many times in the film when he starts talking and it turns into a speech, I'm just like, eh. Like the, I think the one I enjoyed that was a long speech was the one I referenced earlier where he's talking about you know. 
this generation hasn't had a place, you know. Right, right. Uh, we when haven't had a great war, a great right. depression. It's like, oh, I, I can identify with that, and I, I know completely what he's saying, and he's in when he's saying that he's not necessarily beating you over the head with a certain no. point, what he's saying is actually something that a lot of people do really feel. It's just like when you're looking at yourself from a generational standpoint, you say, what have we collectively done? And you can't really answer it. You say, oh, well, I guess it's up to me individually to do what I can do and yeah. hope that someone notices. <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. Can we can we talk just a little bit about Helena <clears throat> Bonham Carter yes. and her nude scenes? Actually, yes. she wasn't nude. You read that somewhere yeah. or so? Oh, it was on the comments. I know, disappointing, yeah. disappointing, right? That just blows. That just. Oh. Well, they did oh. film a variation of a sex scene, actually in a rectory in a church. Really? Which was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, Helena Bonham Carter. I've I've mocked in the past. She's Helena Bonham Carter and everything. Right. She's including when she's an ape. Oh yeah. But no, absolutely. She's like, there's no bad way to light Helena Bonham Carter. No, she's got not at this all. like milky skin and she's got these really high cheekbones and just any light that you cast on her is just beautiful and i'm just you know what surprised me the most about this film is that johnny depp didn't show up right in a hat <laughs> i know in a, well and I, this, right right after hat, seven. But, this know, predates I mean, this predates his hat era his though. hat era okay yeah, yeah, i think it would have i think it yeah. kind of started around Pirates of the Caribbean, maybe? Yes. Because, yes. yes, yes, you know, yes, he's Jack yes, Sparrow. Yes, then it yes. seems like every movie yep. after that is just like he had some kind of, I don't know, fedora or cap or something. Well, something. He was wearing something. And but, he doesn't yeah, okay. have to because it's not like he's bald. I don't get no, it. No, but he... No, okay. You know, and, and I was listening to a stand-up routine uh, by Bobcat Goldthwait, who... I, you guys remember Bobcat, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Right. He's yeah, even on The guy, Simpsons. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, no, he was in Blow with Johnny Depp, and yeah. he absolutely flat out said that Johnny Depp is the most gorgeous man on the planet, and he just was drawn to him and wanted to touch him. But he knew that would be highly inappropriate. And Bobcat has a has, – I mean, he's completely straight. He has a kid. I mean, he did – and his daughter was even like, oh, yeah, you need to do it, Dad. You need to just touch Johnny Depp. Did you, you know? breathe the same air that exactly. he did? I mean, it was funny because all three, okay, because it was Bobcat Goldthwait, Johnny Depp, and Paul Rubens. Yeah. And all three of them had been in trouble with the law. And Bobcat was in trouble because he set the Tonight Show set on fire. Johnny Depp was in, <laughs> Johnny Depp was in trouble because he busted up a, uh, uh, a hotel room or something like that. Rockstar. And we all know why Paul Rubens got into trouble. He was falsely accused. That was that alleged. What it, was? it was alleged. Okay, fair enough. And, and I still love Paul Rubens, and yeah, I think yeah, the yeah. work that he does is great. But again, it was funny because in the context, he was like, those two admitted it. Bobcat and uh, and Johnny admitted it, but Paul Rubens was like, ah, <laughs> you know, I didn't kinda, see nothing. <laughs> I didn't see nothing. The scene when his building first explodes, and he puts in a quarter and makes a phone call. It's all of a sudden not 1999, and this film doesn't per se have a date on it. Uh, in 1999, one quarter did not make a phone call. And at no point could you ever dial star 69 to... At no point could you ever dial 5550134 and reach people. Yeah. They did the 555 thing. It's like, and, oh, come on, you guys. You need to do that. And then it had, like, there's just a strip of paper there from the blown up apartment, which I realized, once again, this movie has over-the-top elements, and I'll forgive them some of the stuff that's over the top, but it's just like, 
man, really? The scrap of paper from a blown up apartment's just there it is. Yeah, and I guess that number fortuitously been used in a lot of movies. How serendipitous! But you know, I will say. So he's at the phone. He's making this phone call. It's it's fun to watch because you see the flames in the building on the, of the high rise directly reflected behind him. You have the police lights that are strategically placed in the reflection to the right of him, and you have this camera that's on this dolly track that's kind of slowly spinning around him and going down. Oh, man. It just, when I saw Gone Girl, it was the same thing. Gone Girl, the game, Seven. His others are great. Social Network was good. Panic Room was okay. But those four specifically are just like pieces of freaking art, you know? And he's got a DP and he's got, you know, different people that do uh, the the lighting and the, you know, the production. But he's his his background is cinematography and he plays a very crucial role in and lighting and key lighting and it's just oh, have you guys so beautiful taking a gander at all the different music videos that fincher was involved in um oh yeah rick's yeah. we have like rick springfield Wait, anymore. rick springfield <laughs> foreigner eddie money lover boy I'm, I'm i'm moving mm-hmm. forward in time a lot of madonna um sting the one I, that comes to mind for me just because I'm a Nine Inch Nails fan, is the video for Only, which is yeah. really cool. And that's my only lament. Uh, one other thing I thought that was overrated by people about this film was the soundtrack. And I was thinking to myself, geez, Trent Reznor was busy at the time. Um, I think the the Fragile by Nine Inch Nails came out a month before Fight Club was released. But it's like, man, what could Trent Reznor do? That this sound, I will say that my absolute favorite part of this film is the soundtrack. The Dust Brothers it is so good. See, I just can. I've tried to listen to it by itself, and it works in you know the film. But I was just like, it's not as great as everyone says it is. Which well, the might, might be like my it, statement about the film too, as well. Yeah, the reason I, I didn't like notice it, it, I'll be honest. The reason I like it is because every single track. There's 14 songs in the soundtrack. Every single song. The first half is completely discordant to the second half, and they're two incredibly different. You know, it's not even the same rhythm, and that's kind of telling of the film's plot. It's kind of, you know, it's it's even even the soundtrack is at anti-establishment, and um, oh, I just think I whenever I, it's late at night and I'm on a road trip driving home, uh, that's that's what I always put in. And that's what happened today, mas- though, when masterful. I was when I was at work. Uh, Usually what I'll do is I'll try to listen to soundtracks or just instrumental music in general because I write for a living. So a lot of times if I hear words, it just throws a wrench in the spokes. But anyway, what happened for me was I just went back to Carpenter's Lost Themes. That's posted oh, on YouTube. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Basically, John Carpenter has this collection of music he didn't use for films. And it's on YouTube and also for sale. And it's pretty awesome. I was really hoping that you were talking about the band from the 70s, the Carpenters. No. And I'm thinking John, in my John mind, Carpenter. Don't you remember I told you to love me, baby? <laughs> I'm just imagining Ben typing with a nine-inch nail shirt. <laughs> All right, so we're going to have to uh, randomly generate a film tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's well, a no-brainer. got to do Jaws. It, you know, it's interesting. I had dinner with my parents last night, and they were... My dad, in particular, was like, do you guys ever do, like, really older movies? Like... And I told him we did To Kill a Mockingbird, and I told him we did Reefer Madness, and he was like, Reefer Madness? That was ridiculous. And I said, yes, we all agree with you on that one. And, and To Kill a Mockingbird, we got into the whole 
you know, the whole thing now that Atticus Finch is actually a horrible racist in the new book that just came out. And, yeah, Harper and Lee wrote and a Harper sequel. Harper Lee wrote a sequel, and Atticus Finch is uh, really a horrible person, apparently. Anyway, um, but we started talking about different actors and actresses that he would like us to see us kind of cover. Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant, Myrna Loy, mm-hmm. and there are, there are so many others that, that he would like us at some point to talk about because— you know, people just don't ever come across those. I'll be honest. I would love to yeah. cover Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, Humphrey Bogart, Cary Grant at some point. I think eventually we're going to have to. But there's so much other stuff. There's yeah. so much other stuff that we want to. I know that we all want to cover. We all want to talk about. But again, ladies and gentlemen, please let us know what you want us to hear. Let us know what you want us to talk about because, guys, we could talk about our personal favorites every day. So you've got to tell us what you want us to watch and talk about and tear apart. So go to our website. Go to the Facebook page. Go everywhere. Just let us know because we'll do it. I guarantee you we will do it. It's true. Stu pretty much just wrapped it up for us. Okay, guys, be realistic. There there are things that even you would so help me God, if somebody ever requests a room again, I will burn this studio to the ground. I'd actually like to do one crappy Marvel movie or one really crappy comic book related movie just once because you realize that we're a little bit spoiled with what's coming out because it's either at least decent to really, really good. Okay, I have one that we can do. I have one. Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Swamp Thing. It was absolutely a horrible movie, and yet that is one of my favorite characters ever. If you've ever read any of the comic books, it's one of the most brilliant characters ever created, and yet they butchered the film. They absolutely butchered it, and so Swamp Thing. That's what I'll throw out there. But again, let us know. We'll do it. Um, yeah. All of my criticisms aside, I, I do still watch Fight Club. I'll without a doubt watch it again, and I think because of my energy and enthusiasm towards Fight Club when I was younger. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more opposed to it now, and I see things that I didn't notice in the past. And the last time that I watched this film, I do not believe that my frontal lobe was fully developed. <laughs> and I don't think that I thought of things in the same light. Now, now I do. Now I have some issues with it. Still a fun movie. Very stylistic. The lighting's great. Costume's great. Music is phenomenal. Um, I'll give it, I'll give it uh, 87% out of 100 Okay, that's 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 my. Is that what you're gonna get? Eighty-seven we, punches we, out of a hundred punches. Three soap bars out of five soap bars. Not bad. I'll give it uh, six coke cans and a and a blanket uh, out of ten. <laughs> 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 All right, I like that. Do you want to say anything else about? No, I got nothing. Think, no, I, I think we've covered it. I and yeah. I think that oh, aside from the fact that uh, aside from the fact that poor Bob was actually meatloaf, who I had no idea that Bob was actually meatloaf. I didn't. I mean, <laughs> his unfortunate nickname from the very beginning, Bitch Tits Bob, that just cracks me up. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. That's just too funny. So anyway, Ben. I think I pretty much said everything that I felt and we summed it up pretty well. You know, it's uh, it's from a stylistic point, you know, looking at the film visually, it's really impressive. I think it gets a little bit convoluted thematically and 
Um, there's some stuff that could have been cut. You know, this movie, I, I don't think we mentioned this, you know, runs over two hours. It's like two hours and 20 minutes at yeah, least to cut that least, I watched. Yeah. So, you know, if they had pared it down just a little bit, I think it would have been more tolerable. Once again, they didn't have to get as preachy in some points. But like Stu said, uh, if they wanted some of the larger audience to catch on, they maybe had to. Yeah, they did. Uh, but overall, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Jimmy, where the same time I watched it, I wasn't really thinking about the film a whole lot. Now I look back on it like, you know, I might watch it again. It's a good way to pass the time, I guess. But I'm not really thinking that it's a classic like a lot of other people think. That, sh- that should have been the alternate tagline for Fight Club. Fight Club, a good way, way to, to pass, pass the, the time, time. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's what you call a ringing endorsement. So it looks like next Tuesday we're doing Jaws. You can find us at movieshowtheater.com. Tony has Shark Week. You can... <laughs> You can hear our other podcasts and blogs and things that we've come up with. And Pause. I think we're, I'm going to link oh, some uh, show notes to uh, this week's episode on the website because there were some uh, videos on Fight Club that I thought were pretty engaging. Indeed. So, and you can also get a hold of us through the 98.7 WAZU Facebook page. So until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Stuart Randolph. I'm Ben Snowden. And this is Movie Show. Theater.